Well, hi there. This is with Stan the Fury Dragon, and as you can probably tell, I'm recording the podcast by a completely different means this week. Um, at least I'm hoping it'll come out this week. Big exciting news in my family. We just welcomed our son, no name yet, into the world. Yeah, as of, as of the time I'm recording this, we haven't actually picked a name for him yet. But we did welcome him into the world, um, I guess, I'm gonna say yesterday. I don't wanna give away the exact birthday, but anyways, he was born um, yesterday as of the time I'm recording this. And you can figure that out for yourself. Came into the world kind of in the evening, kicking and screaming, did not want to be born, <laughs> at least not yet. Um, but he's out, and he's home, and we love him, and he's great. He's also going to make it a lot harder to maintain a regular podcast schedule. So consequently, we're trying a new technology. This is called Anchor. Uh, I've actually experimented with it before. I've mentioned it on the podcast before as well, but we're looking at using it again. The idea is everybody can contribute up to, like I think, five-minute segments on... Uh, well, about anything, really. But what I'm going to try and do is I'm going to try and set up a topic every week, probably set it out on Sunday or Monday of a week, and let whoever contribute, and we'll just see where it goes. I have no idea how this is going to work out, um, but I'm going to make sure that you know the link is, the link to the Anchor profile is posted for the Ultimate Dragons, and then anybody who wants to contribute, I will hand out the login information for. It's going to be like public login information. And hopefully it's a thing that works. Um, Anchor is a service you can use from your phone. You can probably hear a little bit of wind noise in the background, maybe that crow over there. So I'm just recording this outside uh, in a brief five-minute space of time that I have. And the topic that I wanted to look at this week is kind of specific, and it's kind of weird. So I don't know if anybody ever played... Well, I mean, I'm assuming a lot of people actually have played. I don't know if anybody listening has ever played Might Magic 4 and 5 um, collectively. or Well, individually, Might Magic 4 was known as Clouds of Zine. Might Magic 5 was known as Dark Sides of Zine. And then together they created the game World of Zine. And so the idea was that if you had the two games co-installed you could actually move seamlessly back and forth between them. They they were actually basically... Think of them as like two halves of one game, except they came out at slightly different times. Um, and like each was a standalone playable game in its own right. But if you had them co-installed, then you, know, you could be on the cloud side of Zine or the dark side of Zine. You could move back and forth between the two at various portals throughout the land. And so you could play through the narratives of both games simultaneously, jumping back and forth, you know, as you wished. And additionally, if you had both of the games co-installed, there was a third endgame sequence that you could play out. So once you had solved the quest trees for both sides of Zine, there was now a third, shorter quest tree that you could follow to basically turn the seed world of Zine, it was a seed world within the Might and Magic lore, into the planet of Zine. It's very, very cool, and I don't think I've really ever seen any other games try and do this, or at least... None come immediately to mind that have tried to do this, uh, and certainly none since World of Zine have really come along, um, That at least that I can think of. But that's what we're here to discuss, that's what we're hopefully going to discuss, and I'm hoping that at the outcome of this discussion we can make a podcast episode out of it. So I'm going to turn the floor over to whoever wants to speak next, and we will see A, who contributes, and B, we'll see if I'm wrong. Maybe other games have come along that have built on the zine model. I mean, I suppose, in a way, 
that shroud of the avatar is trying to do that. And maybe I'll talk about that a little bit later on once some others have had their say. But for now, the floor is whoever speaks next. Oh yeah, I guess there is one other thing that I should probably add to the, uh, to the preamble for the podcast. And that is we do have, um, Actually, well, first I have to apologize to Jeff, Justin, Tig, Non, and Noncho, because I did mention their names uh, last week on episode 84, or, well, probably two weeks ago by the time this episode goes live, but I did mention their names in episode 84 of Spam, 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 Humbug, and then promptly forgot to include them in the show notes. They'll be included in the show notes for episode 85. And in the meantime, for episode 85, we also say welcome to several new Ultima Dragons on Facebook, Ol, Marvin, Kenneth, Leslie, Blaine, Christy, and Dean. So welcome and splut to all. For those of you tuning in for the first time, of course, the Ultima Dragons are the fan community devoted to the, or that has grown up around the Ultima series of RPGs. It was kind of the seminal series of RPGs in the 1980s and 1990s, although there hasn't really been a new single player entry in the series since 1999. Uh, and then the only other uh, notable entries that have come along kind of since then are some expansions for Ultima Online, uh, which still exists, one of the first MMORPGs. And then a, br- a short-lived mobile game, Ultima Forever, which was released for iOS and uh, didn't, I don't even think, last a year, unfortunately. Anyways, the Ultima Dragons are, like I say, the fan community that's kind of cropped up around the Ultima series. Um Groups been in operation for 25 years now. We actually just had a big 25th anniversary party at Disneyland back in February, uh, put on, uh, organized and put on by some of our members. And from what I gather, it was a great time. I wasn't able to attend myself. You can, if you want to join the Ultima Dragons, j- um, register your very own Ultima Dragon name at udic.org. You can also find out a little bit more about the club there. And you can find us on Facebook and Google Plus as well, or follow at Ultima Dragons on Twitter. So coming back to the original topic, let's talk a little bit more about World of Xena, what made it interesting. So Might and Magic. The Might and Magic series, at least at this point in its history, was very much a take on the wizardry model of CRPG. Um, so it featured a first-person view, and you saw... Uh, I believe across the bottom of the screen, you saw the portraits of your six party members, and you could have, you know, a lot of the traditional RPG, fantasy RPG classes, wizards and warriors and barbarians and all the rest. You rolled stats for all of them, created them, gave them custom portraits. And then sort of there was a main view window uh, on the left-hand side, if I remember correctly. And then kind of on the right-hand side of the view window and above the, the bar of portraits at the bottom of the screen... There was sort of just general interface stuff, some statistics and commands and that sort of thing. And, you know, you basically wandered around. It was a turn-based game for the most part, uh, tile-based world. You moved one tile at a time. Uh, combat played out, you know, very much. You take a turn, they take a turn. You take a turn, they take a turn. And it was, um, it was actually initiative-based. So I think the idea was that, you know, whoever had the highest initiative went first. So that was the monster, great, then they went first. And depending on how many monsters there were, you know, one of them would get an attack, and then the next highest initiative might be one of your party members, and then the next highest initiative, next highest initiative after that might be another of your party members, and kind of so on and so forth, until everyone had gone, and then the turn reset. Not, you know, I mean, fairly straightforward. And the first 
I can't remember if Might and Magic 1 tied into the plot, but certainly Might and Magic 2, 3, 4, and 5 told the story of the guardian Korak. Yes, Korak was a guardian of the seed worlds, Zine being one such seed world, and these were seeded throughout the galaxy, and the idea was that at some point they would be turned into full-fledged planets. And Korak was one of the guardians kind of tasked with, you know, protecting them and shepherding them. Opposing him, and he was chasing him throughout all of these games, was Shelton, who had a very different vision, shall we say, for how things should turn out for the seed worlds. And uh, Might and Magic 4 and 5 kind of represent the culmination of this story arc. Although it's funny because Might and Magic 4 is largely devoid of the presence of Korak or Sheltum. Um, so, you know, in Might and Magic 3 ends, you've, you know, helped Korak chase Sheltum off of another world, I believe called Terra. And he takes off to the stars with, you know, Korak and your party in heart, hot pursuit. Well, come Might and Magic 4, yeah, Korak's nowhere to be seen, and neither is Sheltum. You're just on the cloudy side of Zine, or the light side of Zine. And there is, of course, you know, Lord Zine, this skeleton-faced monstrosity ruling over it, uh, and flooding the land with monsters. Fairly typical tropey <laughs> fantasy story there, I suppose. And then, of course, in Might Magic 5, Dark Side of Zine, is when you are reintroduced to both Korak and Sheltum. But, again, what made the games interesting was the fact that while each game was, you know, as a standalone title, perfectly playable, wonderful games, it was what happened when you co-installed them. And we talked about this, you know, at the start. If you had enough hard drive space, because, you know, back then, hard drive space was sometimes at a premium. If you had enough hard drive space and you could install the two games alongside each other, and actually the installer, I believe, for Dark Side of Zine, you know, sort of asked you, hey, where is, is Clouds of Zine installed, and if so, where? If you installed them alongside each other, then they would basically co-join into a single game called Worlds of Zine. Um, you could play through the narrative for Clouds of Zine and the narrative for Dark Side of Zine simultaneously. You could find portals that would flip you between the Dark Side and the Light Side all, all throughout both sides of Zine. So you could play through both narratives simultaneously. And then once both narratives were complete, there was a third, shorter quest chain to complete to basically unify the Seed World of Zine and its two sides. It was a disc-shaped world into the world of Zine, a planet, a fully-fledged planet. There's a big, fancy ceremony and all of that stuff. I can't think of any other game since these titles came out, and this was in the mid-90s, that has done this. Um, you know, where, you know, one game is added to by the next game in its series in such a way that, you know, you actually end up with more than just two games to play. I guess, actually, thinking about World of Zine and the idea of, you know, two games co-joining to create essentially a mega game with additional content that wouldn't be available in either game as a standalone, World of Zine, Might and Magic 4 and 5, Dark Side of Zine, uh, and Clouds of Zine, sorry, Clouds of Zine and Dark Side of Zine, respectively, 4 and 5, they're one of the last games that I can think of that ever attempted to create that sort of gaming experience. But they're not the first game series that attempted to create that sort of gaming experience. That honor, at least as far as I can tell, belongs to a series called Alternate Reality, um, which was created by Philip Price 
uh, who under under the label of a company called Paradise Programming. Uh, the first entry in the series was published by DataSoft. This entry was called The City, and then a second version, uh, price or a second game in the series. Price was unable to complete the fir- the second game in the series, which was called The Dungeon. So you have The City, and then The Dungeon. Uh, the Dungeon was eventually finished by Ken Jordan and Dan Pinnell. The idea, as I gather, was that, uh, well, I mean, the plot of the game was, you know, again, fairly tropey. Aliens have captured the player from Earth, and he finds himself um, in sort of just, you know, a, a, a puzzle room, basically, that kind of throws him into this alternate reality. And the concept was that the series would incorporate six games, the city, the arena, the palace, the wilderness, revelations, and destiny. Um, I guess the arena became the dungeon at some point. But the idea was that with each successive game in the series, you would basically have more area to explore and more plot to explore. So the uh, the design was to allow the player to move between the different games. So, you know, if you attempted to leave the city, you would be asked to insert the disc for the wilderness. This was, uh, this was back in the, you know, 80s and... Uh, yeah, I think this was... When, when was this? About 1987 that I think the uh, the first game was released. At any rate, it was released for the Commodore 64. So the whole... Sorry, the city was released in 1985, and then the, the dungeon was released in 1987. And this was on the Commodore 64. So, you know, having to switch discs, diskettes, fairly often uh, as you progress through a game was not something new. Um... So, yeah, basically the city was released, and then, oh, I see, the I'm just reading the Wikipedia article. I'll make sure a link is in the uh, eventual show notes. But, so, you had the city, and then its sewers eventually became the dungeon. That was the second part of the game. The city was kind of designed as an open area, a hub area, if you want to use modern MMO terminology. Um, and then the dungeon was made up of four concentric levels, each one smaller than the one above. And so, yeah, as you left the confines of the city... The idea was that, you know, be presented with the wilderness, and then as you explore the wilderness, you might find the palace or the revelations or destiny areas. Um, obviously, that didn't happen. You know, those other entries in the series were never finished, only the city and then the dungeon eventually. And so, you know, as you're progressing through the city and you find a way to enter the sewers, i.k.a. the dungeon, you'll be prompted to enter the game disc for the dungeon. Although, as I gather, this technology never really worked quite as intended um and so consequently well i mean it's not really hard to see why it fell through you know the the technology to move between games never really worked it was very ambitious probably too ambitious for its day and obviously you know the original developer was not able to continue working on it uh, for as long as he wanted to world of zine definitely nailed the concept a lot more soundly, a lot more concretely. But, again, it didn't seem to inspire any particular follow-ups. One of the first things that came to mind when I heard about Richard Garriott's Shroud of the Avatar, so switching topics here a little bit, when the concept of Shroud of the Avatar was initially pitched in, what was that, 2013? The idea was that... um and I mean, this is still actually largely the plan for the game. The idea was that there would be five chapters or five episodes to the story of Shroud of the Avatar, uh, each essentially being a successive game. And the idea was that, you know, the first episode would be set in 
uh, well, the over, like all of the episodes would be set in a world called New Britannia, following on from Richard Garriott's previous uh, RPG series, the Ultima series. And the first episode, Forsaken Virtues, would be set in a place called, if I'm not mistaken here, Novia. And the idea was that uh, with each successive chapter of the game, new lands would be added and you'd be able to voyage in between them. So, you know, uh, you have the continent of Novia in Forsaken Virtues and then the next installment of the, of the Shroud of the Avatar saga would add a new continent name yet unspecified because, of course, that episode hasn't been developed yet. And then the third episode would add even more land and even more land. And I think the idea was actually that there were ultimately supposed to be nine continents or like, you know, if you take Novia as like the centerpiece of a three by three grid, then, you know, by the end of the fifth episode, the entirety of that three by three grid would have been filled in and Novia uh, would be just one land among many, one continent among many, or one island uh, among many in a single large mega continent. I don't know how fleshed out the idea of, you know, like interplayability between the episodes had been. That was something that was not, um, at least to my recollection, which is a little bit fuzzy because, hey, 2013 was four years ago. Um, I don't recall if there was, you know, much discussion as to whether the different episodes would be interplayable in the way that World of Zine was, which is to say that, you know, like, you could start with the story of Forsaken Virtues, but then you could go to another continent and sort of, you know, mess around with the story of Episode 2 for a while, and then go to another continent and mess around with the story of Episode 3 for a while, and then come back and continue working on the story of Episode 1, or whether you'd have to approach the story in a linear fashion. Finish Episode 1, move to Episode 2, finish Episode 2, move to Episode 3, and so on and so forth. Still, that idea of, you know, having each game add more lands to the map and giving you the ability to then move between them. Um, when that was pitched as part of the Shroud of the Avatar concept, you know, my thoughts immediately ran to World of Zine because that is something that New World Computing attempted to do and arguably successfully did with World of Zine. Um, now, it remains to be seen whether Shroud of the Avatar is able to pull off this grand vision. Obviously, I hope they are, um, because I'd love to play another game like that. And I'd love to, you know, just play another Richard Garriott game and see him do well by this first title and, you know, move on to create other entries in that same series. And I really hope that there is that sort of interplayability where you can have successive episodes of Shroud of the Avatar co-installed with each other and basically just completely expand not only the world you can explore, but the number of quest paths you can pursue. It'd be even cooler if, you know, by, should Shroud of the Avatar reach its fifth episode, it'd be even cooler if, you know, you had all five episodes installed at once. If there was, uh, say, a sixth quest chain that you only got access to once you'd completed the stories for the other five, that would take you across the entirety of the nine continents or the nine pieces of map or however much map there ends up being. For now, it's a pipe dream. But, hey, it is something I'd like to see. Right, well, I'd hoped that some others would chime in by this point, but, you know what, that's fine. This was a test run and kind of very quickly and 
Uh, not particularly well planned in terms of his organization. I just kind of threw it together at the last minute. But since no one else has chimed in, there is one sort of counterpoint, I guess, to all these observations that I've made about Zine and, you know, the fact that there's, uh, that with each successive title in the series, you've got, um, an interplayability and, you know, the expansion of the land that's available to be explored. And of course, the counterpoint to that is that really this kind of describes how a lot of MMOs are designed, right? Because, you know, you have, uh, the base game of an MMO, but then as expansion packs are released, these may add new lands and new quest chains, um, which may even have you then, you know, revisiting other, uh, lands that you've already explored as part of those quest chains. But that's kind of the point in that, um, you know, while this whole idea of expanding the game world and um, having quest chains that, you know, then might revisit old areas that you've explored before, but then also new areas that you haven't yet explored. And this whole idea of, you know, like interplayability between the base game and the expansion content, very common in the MMO space. And Trout of the Avatar is, I guess, in a way, arguably an example of that as well, since it's not a true MMO in the typical sense of the term, but it is selectively multiplayer, right? It's kind of designed around the multiplayer experience. But the world of zine games weren't that, because they were single-player games. And that's kind of, I think, the point I'm driving at, is that, yeah, this stuff is very common in the MMO space, but it's wildly, wildly uncommon in the single-player space. And it really hasn't been imitated since New World Computing released Might Magic 4 and Might Magic 5. At least, again, I cannot think of any example. And that's not to say that there haven't been continuous universes. There's lots of games that have, you know, featured a continuous story. I mean, the Mass Effect series, to a degree the Dragon Age series, the Assassin's Creed series, Halo. You know, there's lots of titles where there's been sort of this continuous narrative thread that's run through all of the games, and one story carries into another. And even in some cases, one story impacts the next story, right? The decisions you make in the first Mass Effect carry forward into Mass Effect 2 and into Mass Effect 3. Um, but this isn't the same as, you know, being able to co-install Mass Effect 1 and Mass Effect 2 and Mass Effect 3 and then play through the events of all of those games kind of as you will, right? To be able to jump back and forth between the quest chain for Mass Effect 1 and then I'll play a little bit of Mass Effect 2's quest chain and then, you know, and then at the end of all of that have a fourth quest chain that is only available to you if you have all three games simultaneously installed. Doesn't work that way. Same with the Dragon Age games. Same with the Assassin's Creed games. You know, none of these other series works in that way. There's very few games that have attempted this. Like I say, I can think of only one completed example and one example that predates it that was never completed. Well, if you've been listening to either the podcast recording or the last few episodes on Anchor, and you'd like to know more about Spam, Spam, Spam Humbug, you can find us at podcast.ultimacodex.com, at least for now. I have a little surprise in mind for a few episodes from now, but of course that's still being worked on, so more details about that later. You can actually also support the podcast, and I would encourage you first, I mean, if you like the podcast... 
please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever, TuneIn Radio. Uh, and feel free to leave us your comments. You can leave us comments, especially on iTunes, although I believe Stitcher also supports comments. But comments on iTunes are the most important because they seem to do the most to influence the rank of the podcast and you know how visible it is to people who are trying to find new content. If you want to support the podcast directly, you can do so via Patreon, patreon.com slash Ultima Codex. You can also uh, play video games. That's right. It's a podcast more or less about video games. And if that's the sort of thing you like, buy your video games at GOG. Just hit up our show notes beforehand and click on the link that you'll find therein. And that will take you to GOG, formerly Good Old Games. And you can go about your business. You won't pay a cent more, but we get a little bit of commission off of that. You can also... Follow us on Twitter at Ultima Codex. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash the Ultima series, or of course, ultimacodex.com. Um, if you want to join the Ultima fan community, udsc.org is your gateway to choosing your very own dragon name. You can also find Ultima Dragons groups on Facebook and Google Plus, and you can follow at Ultima Dragons on Twitter. There's also a woefully underused Slack channel that some of the dragons sometimes frequent, especially those who use Slack in their workplaces anyways. And you can join the Ultima Dragons Discord server. Would highly encourage you to do that. Often have some really great, it's a fairly active hub of uh, conversation, and we tend to have some pretty great discussions thereupon. Finally, if you want to hang out with the Spam 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 Humbug crew, you can find us on Discord as well. Uh, there will be a link for all of what I'm talking about here in the show notes when this thing gets published as a podcast episode. Um, you can follow... Oh, hang on. Wait a minute. Let me think. What else can you do to follow Spam 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 Humbug? Well, you know what? Actually, I haven't set up a Twitter account for the podcast yet, have I? That's something I'm planning to do, and a Facebook page as well. Um, so for now, just you know, follow at Ultima Codex, follow facebook.com slash the Ultima Series. That's where you'll find podcast episodes and the like. But you can send us an email message, ultimacodex at gmail.com, or if you want, you can go to podcast.ultimacodex.com and leave us a voicemail, as it were. Uh, you can submit up to 90 seconds of audio right in your browser window from podcast.ultimacodex.com. Just look for the little leave us a message link. Or if you want to, via Anchor, you can submit, I think, up to one minute of audio as a call-in. As for myself, you can find me online, Twitter, WTF underscore dragon. I think that's also my handle on... Instagram, although there may not be an underscore, but you can find all of that on my about.me splash page, and you can, of course, also find me at ultimacodex.com. This has been an interesting test of Anchor as a means of, you know, recording group slash collaborative podcasts. I don't know if I'm going to call it a success or not. Um, I mean, in the end, it seems, seems that some technical hurdles prevented other members of the Spam 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 Humbug group from contributing this week. I'll follow up with them see if we can't iron out some of the wrinkles and whatever else that has cropped up. I mean, I'm also looking forward to actually seeing how Anchor Audio then translates into, well, how these Anchor snippets then translate into an Anchor episode and seeing how that then translates into a podcast. I'm totally in the dark about how that's going to turn out. I have no idea if the background noise is going to be terrible. There's a bird chirping. You can hear that probably. Um... I have no idea how any of this is going to work out. I have no idea what it's going to be like to download the episode or what it's going to be like to add background audio and whatever else. This is just a complete seat-of-the-pants thing. But you know what? So was the podcast in the first place. So I guess we will see how that turns out. At any rate, wrapping it all up, conclusion and all that, World of Zine, Might Magic 4, Might Magic 5, 
joining together to create essentially the experience of three or at least 2.5 games uh, where, you know, out of two otherwise standalone games. Um, I don't think that's been done, at least in the single-player RPG player space, or in the single-player RPG space, since. Um, and obviously, you know, it has its analogs in the MMO space, but that's a little bit different. Personally, I'd actually really like to see this kind of game design make a comeback. It's really, really cool to me, this idea that, you know, with each... You know, that you're basically adding um, not just new stories, not just new lands, but also, you know, adding to a game, adding to a game universe in a way that, you know, lets you really, truly, genuinely explore it in almost any particular way you like, you know, lets you explore an entire series or set of games in an essentially free-form capacity. You know, you're not locked into finishing one plot and then moving on to the next. You can do some quests in this storyline, do some quests in this storyline, do some quests, you know, in another storyline, visit this place, visit that place, and it all just works together. And then when you arrive at the end of it all, maybe there's then some overarching quest that, you know, wraps up all of the other stories very, you know, neatly and in a particularly interesting way. It's a kind of game design that really, in a certain way, sort of capitalizes and maximizes on the very concept of nonlinear open-world RPG design. So hopefully, one of these days, we will see a developer pick up and run with that idea. Hopefully, if Shroud of the Avatar succeeds and releases all five of its episodes, it will offer that kind of gameplay experience for those of us who will be playing the game in single player. And hopefully next week I can iron out all the technical hurdles and uh, get more contributions from the other members of the Spam 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 Humbug team. But thank you for those of you who have listened already to these segments on Anchor, and thank you to everyone who listens to the podcast episode. And until next time, be virtuous.